Hey guys, let me uh, pray for us. Uh, we're gonna just we're gonna jump into jump into the word, okay, guys? As a family Sunday, so our, our, our young people will remain here. All right, and pray for us. Lord, thank you for the joy you give us in being your children, being able to even those songs and just dance with our our young people, Lord, and be able just to think about your character in those songs, Lord, and how you are truly good and gracious. And um, I pray, Lord, that we would um, we just continue to see you as you reveal yourself to us, Jesus. Just allow our hearts to be soft toward Christ, um, soft toward what you want to do for your honor and for our good. To be willing to uh, go through hardship and and pain uh, for the sake of your glory and our delight. And Lord, as I um, as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, bring glory to Christ. We thank you that you didn't leave us on this on this earth to wander around aimlessly, Lord, but you saved us. And then you give us your holy scriptures to to tell us about your world, the world you created, and who we are, the people you created, and and who you are, being a uh, the only uncreated one, being the Lord. Um, pray that we would take heed to what you tell us and we would learn true wisdom and knowledge from the Holy One himself right now. So Lord, I pray that you would speak um, to me and through me even during this time. And, and Lord Jesus, that you would be gracious to allow if there's things that get in the way of your Holy Spirit moving, that you would graciously remove those things. Uh, if my words get in the way, you remove those you allow those things to sink deep into the heart of the people of God that's from you. Uh, we, want, we want people to know Christ. Uh, you want that way more than me or anyone in this room. So be exalted, Jesus. And allow us to enjoy being in your word. So uh, give us stamina and excitement and grace. We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, family. Um, if you need Bibles, uh, you can raise your hand and, and Leon will pass them out. Uh, the way I'm wired, we go through the text, and so uh, the Bible, the verses will be up front, but sometimes they, the stuff we're talking about might not be up front, so you want to make sure you have your Bibles. Uh, if you need a Bible, we would love to, you can take one if you need one. If you have if there's financial resources, an issue, you can take a Bible from our church. We, we want you to have the Word of God. If you have scriptures, we just want to encourage you to bring them so you can just continue to be able to. Uh, process God's scripture and just be able to navigate the Bible uh, with with your on your own. We are right now in the book of Acts. We are going through books of the Bible as a local community. That's what we do. Um, we take uh, different breaks uh, for different series, but for the most part, we want to do uh, what they call exegesis. That is uh, figuring out the text and, and drawing out what the meaning of the text is and allowing it to apply to our lives. Uh, we want to do that with every book of the Bible because we believe as a covenant community that all of this life and everything we're doing is about Jesus and the scriptures are about Christ. And so his holy word is all awesome. And we don't want to stay in those books that are comfortable for us. And so we thought, wait, you know, it'll hold us accountable. if We go through every book. So that's our heart <laughs> um, to, to just be able to alleviate my flesh and your flesh. We can just trust the Lord and learn from his counsel and apply his word faithfully. So that's our posture. Uh, we do ask that you would just know that we are okay with you asking questions. Um, that's okay in this community. We just ask that you would consider uh, the people of God. And if it's something that you think, man, this might really help everyone, 
to understand this nuance or this piece here, that would be great. Um, if there's something specific, uh, we ask that you would come down and talk to me. I would love to hear from you. And we can process uh, the study of God together. just want to give you that freedom in our local community. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 11. If you are new here and want to encourage you, you can go to uh, the, the online, our website, and you can listen to the other sermons to catch up. You got a lot of work to do, but it's, it's not impossible. And I uh, would love to have you come catch up with us and, and, and be on this journey with us, uh, be in this series as we're learning um, what does it mean to be the people of God. Uh, these individuals uh, walking with Jesus, realizing that Jesus is actually uh, the second member of the Trinity, realizing that Jesus is the Lord of all, as we even saw again uh, last week. And now that basically everything that was uh, happening within the history of Israel, everything that was happening in, within the history of man is pointing uh, to Christ uh, as king. Uh, these guys uh, eventually begin to see Jesus down across. World gets rocked, but then he rises from the dead, triumphant. They're excited. Jesus comes, says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to not only commission you because now you realize I'm king. Here's what that means to your life. But I'm actually going to empower you. So he gives them the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who actually is in us, if you are a believer, to be on mission to tell the world about who Jesus is as Jesus points us to the Father. And so that's the commission we get. These guys go on. They begin to preach the gospel. They begin to see uh, Jews get saved. Uh, the, the kind of the powers that be gets upset. They begin to experience the persecution. They stand firm. Uh, they begin to see wonders and miracles happen. And God's church is beginning to bloom and grow and blossom. Right? So now they're figuring out what does it mean to be the people of God. In that process, they begin to give to each other. They begin to make sure no one was out want. They begin to be ser- uh, service-oriented. They also begin to deal with sin where individuals are lying. And so God allowed people to drop dead to show that he is serious about holiness. Uh, he does not take sin lightly. So now the church is kind of forming. And at the same time, missions is going forth. And this is happening throughout uh, the text as we were reading. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, what we begin to see is we begin to see after... The, this movement is happening where people are coming to Christ. We begin to see that one of the great leaders of the opposition actually give his life to Jesus, a guy named Saul, who is now Paul, who has written about probably 13 books of the Bible. A few are debated, but he's written a lot of the scriptures that we read right now as an inspired word of God, right? This guy who actually killed probably the first martyred uh, Christian, New Testament Christian uh, in our New Testament Bible is now uh, the biggest proponent. He's walking with the Lord. He begins to preach the gospel. All of a sudden, we're starting to see more people come to Christ. But at the same time, we're starting to see him, individuals from the Jewish side, be scared of him, but also individuals from the Gentile side going, what's going on here? And it's crazy. Well, he's preaching the gospel, but then also the author began to bring, bring back some of the church leaders. He brings the church leader Peter back into the fold to show us, okay, God is doing something with this Jew who realizes that the gospel is for everyone, but also he needs to do something with this church leader, right, who has for his whole time in life, and also I would say in all of Judaism, Judaistic history, they've thought, man, they're the chosen people. We, are, we, we get it. We get the Holy Spirit. We even get, wow, Jesus is our Messiah. God has revealed that to them, but he's still our Messiah. But God is trying to change things. He's trying to help them see something that no Jesus was not just the God of the Jews. He is the God of the world if he created the whole world, right? 
And so for the last couple of chapters, or chapter 10 in particular, uh, Peter has this dream because, again, his whole life, he's just thought, hey, it's about, okay, Jewish purity, Jewish identity in Christ. We get that. But then Jesus says, hey, don't call anything that I've made unclean. Because for you not to want to preach to Gentiles, you're saying that something I made isn't worth hearing from me. <laughs> you're saying something I've made isn't good. But I'm good. God is like, I'm purely good. There's no unclean thing in me. So what you talking about, Peter? <laughs> right? So he encourages Peter to know you need to go to those people that you despise and hate, and I'm going to you to preach the gospel to them. And Peter goes in faith to a place that was just bizarre for a Jewish person to go to Caesarea and begins to hang with and spend time uh, with individuals that they would never spend time with. And he even tells them, hey, we normally don't do this. And he preaches the gospel. And individual, individuals get saved. Now, what we're going to do here in chapter 11 is we're going to have a brief recap of that. So we're going to look at that. And then I want to be asking you something. What's, what's going on in the text, the text of chapter 11? Because we have another narrative. And while you're thinking about what's going on in the text, I want you to continue to ask yourself a question. Not just why is this happening here in the text, what's, whatever's going on when we, read the, when we read the scriptures in chapter 11. But ask yourself, as a Christian, as I walk with the Lord and this is very important in our spiritual formation. What do I think about God's sovereignty? What do I really believe about God's sovereignty? Do I believe that God has me? Do I believe that God has a purpose? Does, does Jesus have you? Are, you? are you comforted in Christ? Is Christ holding you? Does he, does he, does he got you? You know what he's saying? I mean, Jesus, he got you, man. Does he? Does he have you? Are you just out here fighting by yourself? Or do we say, no, Jesus has me theologically, but practically I'm out here fighting by myself. Do we live like, no, it's about me trying to do this well, trying to be a good Christian, trying to figure out my way, do my life? Or do I sincerely live my life with great freedom because I know a sovereign good Lord has me? He's protecting me. He's comforting me. And that means if that's true, then no matter what's happening in your journey, it's all right. That sounds cool, right? Do we believe that? Do we walk in light of that? Do you do your daily times as you walk through life, as you parent your kids, as you go to work? Do you live like that? Do you study for your exams like that? Look what the scriptures say. Chapter 11, does Jesus have you? Does Jesus have you? Travel from Cali, does Jesus have you guys? Are you in Christ? Are you okay? Is Jesus here? Look at the scriptures. Look what happens. So first we get a recap. I love this, guys. It says in the scriptures, we're in verse 1, chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were brought through Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So the word got back to the brothers that, man, Gentiles got saved, right? What was going on with the Gentiles? The word got back. In verse 2, the scripture says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, 
right? The circumcision party. So he goes back, which I love. You see this throughout Acts, right? You see him, you know, something will happen and they'll go back and report to the leaders what's going on. As they're seeing the expansion of the church, as they're seeing Christ be proclaimed, they're taking notes and making sure they know what's going on. He goes back and says, guys, let me tell you what happened in Caesarea. Y'all not going to believe this, right? And says the circumcision party criticized him. The circumcision party criticized him. Now, what's interesting about that, the circumcision party criticized him. He goes to them and says, man, they've heard that the word of God was spread. And now picture this. Think about this. These guys heard that the word of God was spread. So they heard that the gospel had been preached. They heard that Gentiles are now in the fold and can now love Jesus. They heard that the forgiveness of sins is for everybody. They heard that God is truly good in that way. That God is not a respected person like you and me, but he's so good. He offers salvation and grace and mercy to everyone. And it says here, the party criticized them, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? They heard about it. He goes and reports it. And they're like... Why are you hanging with them? Now, wait, we're not surprised. That's how we are. That's why the world has racism and ageism and sexism. That's why we have elitism. Because, man, you can go and say, man, it is someone you just, you despise, right? And you just think, I don't really like that person. And then someone goes up to you and says, they came to Christ. And you try, you try to put the Christian smirk, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you ever been like that? You ever heard good news of somebody you don't like? Hmm. You, ever, you ever had that happen to you? How do you feel inside? I know you put on a good Christian smirk. How do you feel inside? It says, verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? I love that. <laughs> he didn't say, you preached the gospel to them? You ate with them. Peter says, let me tell you something. Let me break this down in sequence. Y'all, y'all don't get, y'all, y'all tripping. Let me tell you what happened. Because they must have said, man, what happened? What, what happened, Peter? Why were you out there with these guys? They said that the gospel went forth. What happened, Peter? Verse 4. But Peter began and explained to them, and I love he says, in order. Let me tell you this thing in order. I'll tell you what happened. Let me give you a sequence. It says, I was just in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, y'all. I was sitting, saw this vision, something like a great sheet descending, being led down from heaven by its four corners, the scriptures say. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals. And so we read all this last week. So he goes through basically what has happened. He says, I observed these animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. In verse 7, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, I don't roll like that. You know, you taught us in Leviticus that we ain't supposed to be eating everything. What are you talking about, Yahweh? He says, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Ever. I never had a ham sandwich. Verse 9. But the voice answered a second time from heaven and said, I I know you don't know what ham looked like, but you need to listen to me. Right? But the voice said, I'm going to tell you the same thing a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, don't you call common. Look, it says, this happened three times. So that means, again, Peter must have had another rebuttal. Peter said, you don't, 
Yahweh, I know you're the God of the universe, but you got this one wrong. I know you created me and everything else, and you gave me a brain, but I'm smarter on this one. And sometimes we got to be humble for Yahweh. See, he told him, this happened three times. And then God was gracious, didn't say I'm going to make you smithereens. He says, okay, I told you, I know you're going to listen to me because I'm sovereign. And all was drawn up again. The scriptures say this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So we have... Supernatural occurrence after supernatural occurrence. Because remember last week, while this is happening, what's that, what else is happening? Cornelius getting his own little thing going on, right? God visiting Cornelius too. So we got supernatural occurrence, supernatural occurrence. And the scripture says in, in verse 11, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. Another supernatural occurrence. I love this sense. Can you imagine? He just had a vision. He's sitting there. Scripture says in chapter 10, he's literally pondering what has just happened. He's sitting there going, what? Man, this is crazy. And while he's pondering, he gets him knocked at the door, the scriptures tell us. And there's three men at the house in which you were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. I love what the, what the author does there. You notice that? The scriptures tell us that, hey, the, the spirit said, go with him, making no distinction. Do you think that was by mistake saying, hey, don't you need to go? And the spirit wasn't like, hey, you know, I know they're Gentiles, but you still need to go. The spirit was like, go with them. You get that? You see that? The spirit ain't racist. <laughs> There's a point there. The spirit made no distinction. These are, these are people you need to go with, period. Check this out. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. We're in verse 13 now. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. I love this. Um, and he would declare to you a message by which you will be saved. Right? You will be saved. You and all your household. Right? So the spirit obviously told him what was up because remember, he comes over and it's kind of like, so now what? What you want me to do? What y'all, what y'all want me over here for? Right? And Cornelius is like, look, man, you, you, you need to quit holding out. So obviously we know here the spirit told Cornelius that this guy got the gospel for y'all. So Cornelius looking at Peter like, I know you got the gospel. And Peter looking at Cornelius like, what you want? Cornelius is like, what you mean what I want? You know what I'm saying? I want the gospel. Right? And it says... Verse 15, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So he's preaching the gospel to these guys. And we saw the scripture in, in chapter 10. Go back there and make sure you're, you're putting these stories together. And as he, he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit just fell on them just as he did on them, right? He says, Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, <laughs> right? Pentecost. We saw what happened to us at Pentecost happened with these people, right? I mean... This is crazy. Verse 16, he says, and I remembered. So now we get a little insight to how Peter was thinking because we don't, we don't get this in chapter 10. And that's why you make sure that as you're reading scripture, scripture interprets scripture. So you get a little more insight. And he says, that's how I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized. Yeah, he did say that. John baptized with water. I remember that now. And that had to happen a lot, right, y'all? Can you imagine being with Jesus for three years? And just, I mean, that happens with us as just individuals. You know, you're with somebody and something happens. You're like, Oh, man, that reminds me of when my mom said, you know, somebody will say something. You remember somebody, something that someone taught you. 
Can you imagine all the things Jesus taught them just throughout the days, how they would just remember little things here and there, where the Lord would just remind them. Remember when I said this to you? Yeah, God did say that to me about this thing here. So he remembers, man, yeah. I remember he says that, that John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what he's talking about. So then he's like, man, we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I thought he was talking about us. You know, it was just 12 of us. We were kind of hanging out with the Jews. Wait, but no, they even baptized the Holy Spirit too. So that must mean, verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. So the, the Jewish leaders heard these things. He's preaching to them. He's saying, guys, I get it. I struggle with racism too. I understand what we grew up doing. I understand what our forefathers grew up doing under thousands of years. I get it. But hey, man, Jesus told us that this was going to happen. And we know he's the king. And they heard these things. They fell silent, it says the scriptures say. All right. And it says, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What am I to do? They come to grips that they're no better than the Gentiles. John, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. What's the difference between how John baptized the water and how they would be baptized? So remember in John, and so John would come, John the Baptist, who was what they called the forerunner, right? He was preparing the way, John even said himself, I'm preparing the way for someone whose shoes I can't even tie, right? So it says, so John says, hey, I'm doing this. I know y'all like me because John the Baptist was in the wilderness. The reason why he was in the wilderness, because in that day and time, it was right after what they called the intertestamental period. Okay, that means that they hadn't heard from a prophet in years, no one was proclaiming the gospel. And so all of a sudden, or, or did, who Yahweh was and what he was going to be about. So actually during that time, the religious individuals got very frustrated because people wanted God, but they didn't know who to, how to get him, who, what to do. And so there was all these individuals who were doing, all these different sects began to rise up. The Sadducees, different, different things that you didn't see in the Old Testament. But John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. And so individuals who were like, man, this guy seems to have integrity. He's actually preaching this, this new coming of this, of this king, and he seems like he's talking about Yahweh. People started actually following John the Baptist. But when people started following John the Baptist because they wanted good religion, as it were, because they had all these choices because there was all these uh, perpetrators, and there's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was telling everybody, hey, I know you like me. I know I'm preaching the gospel to you guys. I know this is exciting, and God has given me power. But guess what? I'm not Jesus. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to baptize you in water, and I'm going to let you know that's kind of a commercial. This isn't going to give you power. But, it's going, but I'm letting you know by baptizing you in water that you will get power. But it won't be through me. It'll be from that dude I'm telling you about. So he says, hey, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to identify you, immersion, that's what baptizo means. I'm going to identify you as people who are part of this new covenant community who's waiting for Messiah. But one day, the Messiah is going to come, and he is going to identify you into his family because you are part of the covenant community. And the way he's going to identify you is with the stamp of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity himself living in you. So that's the difference, is that John was basically preparing people for the coming of the Savior. 
really good question. Just want to explain that piece to you. I hope that's helpful. So now, we, and so what's cool about us, we become Christians. The way we become Christians is that God, praise the Lord, he, boom, baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Everyone in this room right now who said, Jesus is my king and Satan is not, you have the Holy Spirit in you, God himself. Good word. Thank you, Jay. Uh, real quick, Shayla. Yeah, it's a culmination piece, right? So because then, I mean, you got me just telling the whole narrative. Of the, okay, so then what happened was, <laughs> uh, then, yeah, so then what happened was Jesus comes along and he does a couple of things. He says, I need to do this to fulfill scripture. So I want people to understand that I am humble and I'm meek and mild. I'm coming here. I can come in like I'm Jesus. I ain't getting no water. I'm Jesus. But he didn't come like that, right? He could have showed up, right? He's God, right? But he said, no. I'm seeing what y'all are doing. I want you to understand what John was doing to you was the right thing. So I'm going to do that too. But guess what? When I do it, I'm going to fulfill the rest of this passage here. Boom, Holy Spirit comes to me. Oh, wait. The, Holy, the difference was you went in water. You came up just a wet person. You went in water. You came up a wet person. You went in water and a big old dove came down. What's going on here? Right? And so now people get, oh, so you are beginning this process, right? And that's how I love that Jesus is our first fruits of everything. Our first fruits of baptism, as it were. Our first fruits of resurrection, right? The reason why we know we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to get a resurrected body because we saw Jesus first do it. I get excited. So good, good question about that. Yeah. So that's what, so it was a culmination. So really good, good ISIS. That's what was going on in the gospels. And I say that because, man, I'm, and this whole concept of us having the Holy Spirit is going to be evident as we continue to read the text here. It's so important for us to know that we have the Holy Ghost. Good, good, good questions, guys. Uh, Betty, you had one, sis? Amen. Okay. So, so, just, so think about it, family. As you're looking at the text, as you're reading your um, Bibles and you got your notes, just think about that concept that he's like, hey, you know better than the Gentiles. I mean, think about... Uh, we all struggle with our, our value systems of we are, we, we put ourselves here and we have marginalized people in our life. All of us do. And just, I'm trying, I can't do it. I don't know how to do this. And maybe I got to pray more about how to give better examples. But I want us to see the potency of God telling people who, he, who he's taught for thousands of years to find great just beauty in the fact that they're a Jew and they misinterpreted some stuff. But man, they, they, these individuals, they were told the Jews are, are the chosen people. And you go down the list and all of a sudden they get smacked in the face and they're told, guess what? Um, you're part of this family and you're no better. Now we praise God that you are the forerunners as it were. We, 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 we grab onto your, your vine, right? Right. But we're grafted in and, and we are God's people. This was a huge framework. This is a paradigmatic shift. They had to realize I'm no better, right? And I love, I love this. Now, we know that Peter is going to deal with racism again. We know that he's struggling. We know that he struggled. But I love the way he's preaching by faith. This is, just, this is not, not doctrine. I just love the pragmatic reality that here's Peter just saying, he's preaching that as if he just totally believes all that and he ain't struggling at all. Right? And we know that ain't true. I just love that. I love, you would think, man, this brother, look at him. He just loves everybody. Right? 
And I love that. I love the sense of him preaching this reality by faith and God is still doing the work in him. That's not doctrine. I just think pragmatically it's very interesting how firm he is about proclaiming the truth and a true narrative of what happened, even though he himself is like, I know, I don't want to hang out with him either. But man, praise the Lord. Right? So we got this new thing, as it were, this old thing happening in God's plan, hitting the heart of the leadership, right? But then God is not only doing that, God wants us to see something really important in verse 19 through 28. So he, he gives us that framework, and then he's trying to say, hey, guess what? But we right now have this huge step in the gospel that's about to happen. A huge step in verses 19 through 28. This whole issue of increase of influence we're about to see, Right? And so it says in verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, right? So notice this. First, let's let's, let's just pause here for a minute. Uh, Keep it the chart up. So I love the sense of now he's, he's kind of, the author is bringing us to say, hey, yeah, we, we had a situation happen, but now I want you to see what's going on. I mean, it's like this beautiful soap opera. And you know how in a soap opera, you know, you got the guy and he's like, well, I want to marry you. You don't want to marry me. And, then, and it's like, da, da, da. And then it cuts off and it goes to a whole other story. And the, the dude's in jail and his dad's in the hospital. And it's like all these different scenes, right? So now you go, so now you, it's, it's like these different, so now you got, boom, all of a sudden, the author wants you to know, hey, that's going on, but I want, you to, I want you to understand something. God doing that sense of gospel going to the Gentiles is happening within the leadership and it's happening in general, right? That this, this, that this, 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 this push, this posture of God is not a come see God. He's a go tell God. The posture is of him wanting the gospel to go to the whole world and wanting us to be those agents who take the gospel to the whole world is happening. Not just with the, with the stars, right? The Pauls and the Peters. It's happening with the people of God. His posture is moving everybody to be about his plan. And so the author wants you to see that. So now, you get here and notice a couple of things. You see the sense of the gospel goes to the Jews, right? Goes to the Samaritans, then the Gentiles. And now it's being kind of breached out. So we've dealt with the people groups. So now we know we need to go to everybody. So now let's go to everybody, right? So now we hit Antioch. Now what's interesting here, notice a couple of things. First, I love this. First, I love the fact that the motivation behind them preaching the gospel was what? What was the motivation? To wait, I'm sorry. What was the motivation of them preaching the gospel to where they were? How'd they get there? Persecution. So let me ask you, would they have preached the gospel to those places if they hadn't been persecuted? I would propose no. Probably not. So is it, do, could it be that God actually brought persecution upon the church. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Could it be that God had killed, that Stephen was killed in God's plan for the gospel to go out? Could it be that God said, Stephen, love you, love your passion, you're awesome. Guess what? I got to kill you though, okay? You're going to have to off you for the greater good because the people are not moving. Go tell religion and people's not moving. So we're going to kill Stephen. Everybody's going to get scared. They're going to go off to all these places. 
I'm blown away that God used persecution for the spread of the early church. That's what he did. Now, notice another thing in the text. Who they preached to. Look at who they preached to. Jews only. Have you never, have you, I mean, have you, have you, have you noticed that? Did you notice that in the text it says they went out and they would only preach the gospel to the Jews? Isn't that amazing? You see that, guys? Who, who, who was preaching the gospel? We don't know. I mean, we know the, we know the groups, but we don't know who it was. My point, it was no stars. We have no clue. What we know is that the people of God were preaching the gospel. I love that. I love that the mindset sometimes in evangelicalism is like, no, Eric, you're gregarious. You're supposed to preach the gospel. No, hey, you're this way. You're supposed to preach the gospel, and I'm not going to do this. It seems to me the push of the early church was like, if you could preach the gospel, you preach the gospel. Is that fair? Is that fair? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be motivated by my own flesh. I, it seems to me that's what the text is showing me. Now notice this. The people had an opportunity to preach the gospel to other individuals. But look what the scripture says. That they only preach to those who were Jewish. <laughs> now let's talk about this real quick. As we talk about persecution, let's talk about God's sovereignty. Can we go to, I love this text because it, it really helps us get a, a, a grip of God's sovereignty. See, so in our local body, we believe that basically that man has a, a, a freedom, but we believe that there's a sovereign God. Okay, so we do not believe that man's freedom is outside of God's sovereignty by any means other imagination. In fact, we believe that God's sovereignty is over man's freedom. And then God has freedom as well. But see, his freedom isn't like our freedom. His freedom stands free. <laughs> there's, there's no constraints with God's freedom. There's no, there's no boundaries with his freedom. What do I mean by that? I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Okay? The difference between his freedom and our freedom is our freedom is actually bound up within God's sovereignty and God's freedom, which means that we are free until God designs for us not to be free anymore. We don't like to hear that. That means that when God decides to say, hey, you know what? You're free, but guess what? I'm, I need to do this. Then God's sovereignty will trump even our freedom. We, that, that, can, that can mess us up a little bit. We are bound by God's freedom. He is never bound by ours. The world might want to tell you that, no, I do not know when God wants to. So there's a freedom, but it's a freedom different than our freedom. And we see that here. We see individuals, God having this plan that was so bigger than ours. And so he said, I need to persecute, have the church persecuted so that the gospel would get forth because his bigger plan was for people to hear about Christ. Right. See, this wasn't, this was not a mission trip for, for these people. This was a survival trip to be refugees. And then they became missionaries. You see that? They went because they were like, uh-oh, what's about to happen to us? 
Now, there's two reasons that could be why they didn't preach the gospel. I don't know if it was just them being ethnically, you know, elitist, but it might, it might, could have been value and safety. They could have said, hey, I don't value you. It could have been an elitism, racism thing, or it could have been simply, if I preach the gospel to the Gentiles and they tell them us, we're going to go, we're going to get killed. I don't really know, but I think it's interesting that the author wanted to make it clear that they would only preach the Jews. But then what it says in verse 20, look, check this out. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, the scriptures say, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Isn't that cool? There are some people who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and talk to the Gentiles too. Now, now think about that. Think about how God had to be gracious there. Remember, they've been taught. You don't hang out with Jews. They didn't have, I don't know, there's no, there's no recording that they had the dream like Peter, right? So for them to say, hey, God wants to be friends with the Gentiles, that's like, that's bizarre that they would get all that, that they would realize that. But yet these individuals saw the doctrines of grace enough to say, I want the Gentiles to know about Jesus too, which is awesome. And the scriptures read in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord, which that term, what the reason why it says believe turned to the Lord, I would propose is the same reason we had a discussion about Cornelius. Okay. Is that they were individuals who, who kind of was like God fears and was like, yeah, I heard about Jesus. Well, those guys actually got the gospel and believed in Christ and the forgiveness of sins and repented and experienced salvation. Well, the scriptures read, they believed, they turned to the Lord, and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they go back to tell, the, the, the word gets there, hey man, people are coming to Christ, and what do they do? They send Barnabas, right? So they send a son of encouragement, our boy, and Acts 4, Acts 4 if you uh, can write that address down, tells you about Barnabas a little bit. And what's interesting, I love the concept, like they send Barnabas, who's actually from Cyprus. And so they send the guy who's, uh, who has integrity, uh, who walks with the Lord, and who's from that area. And they send him to see if everything was, that they said was happening was actually true. And look what he says in the scriptures. Don't miss this, guys. It says, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God. Don't you like that? When he came and saw the grace of God. Now, what does it mean for when he says Barnabas saw the grace of God? What is he talking about? Let me tell you a couple of things that it seems that he's talking about here. I've even asked myself, so you, you, can, you, you can see the grace of God, right? You can see God's grace in things. I want to prove to you that we see it all the time. I'm going to tell you, that's the reason why we do our prayer time, right? Because we want to train ourselves to see the evidence of God's grace in life. What are some ways that we see the grace of God here? First, he sees the grace of God because he's going, didn't y'all go out here because of persecution? He's seeing people who are persecuted now producing worshipers, right? It produced, that persecution produced worshipers. People are now Christians, isn't that a, right? Isn't that God's grace? Isn't that God's favor? And look what it says. It also, he sees proximity, right? Encourages preaching. Now, let me ask you. Gentiles heard the gospel. If they hadn't happened to be around the Gentiles, do you think they would have made a special trip to the Gentiles to share the gospel? Probably not. 
There's individuals in our cities, in our lands, where I don't think people are just like, I don't want to share Christ with these people. I think they just don't live next to them. And guess what? There are really good people who walk with the Lord, who love Jesus, who are in homogeneous settings, and they just don't, they're just not in the proximity to build a heart for care, nor to have an opportunity to present the gospel to other individuals or even other ethnic groups or even other others. You think about your other. And it seems to me that the theology of proximity is live and well here. This concept that, man, they share Christ with people, those who are around them. And wow, intentionality does matter. Intentionality matters. It seems clear there. So we see God's grace. We see it clearly, right? We see it in God bringing people to faith because of persecution. And God seeing Gentiles come to faith because people just happen to happen, right? If we, if we don't believe in Jesus, they happen just to live next door, live around these people. Now, I'll, I'll propose to you as God's sovereignty saying, I want to put you next door to people so they can hear the gospel. And I love his grace because he does this in the midst of disobedience. I love his grace that he doesn't do these things because they did everything right. He did it in the midst of them doing things wrong. And look what it says. He saw saw the grace of God. And what does the scripture say? He was glad. Look at your text. The scripture says he saw the grace of God. And it says he was glad. Why was he glad? Why should we be glad over the grace of God? Because the Bible over and over tells you and me family that suffering and pain and wrongdoing, that God actually uses all that stuff to bring people closer to him. The world tells you and me that we, we don't want to enter into those things. We don't, want to, we don't want to be bothered with those things. But the Lord is saying that those things actually bring Christ's glory. And he sees it and he says, man, I'm just smiling. I'm just glad. That pain and heartache brings honor to the Lord and it makes... It makes us glad because Christ is exalted in the midst of pain. I'm not saying pain is we just be flipping about it, but I'm, I want us to see God's reality in it. I mean, I just think back to, I don't know, I just, I just think back to the fair days. I think back to Courtney's brother. You know, here's a guy who gets, you know, murdered overseas, right? And man, it's just hard and hurts. And we heard as a community for, for Courtney, right? How many hundreds of people have come to Christ? How many thousands have heard the gospel because of this man's life being taken? As he's just, wasn't he just going for a jog? And he gets killed. And people realize, man, this guy gave his life over there. He, he taught and cared for, he loved Jesus. And he was there because of Christ. And Well, tell me more about Christ. And the gospel's being shared in Texas and all these different, and then John Piper does a huge blog about this story. And then people hear the gospel, and people come to Christ, and people who are Christians get shored up in their faith, and they say, yes, it's worth to die for Jesus. All because of pain and suffering. He was glad, the scriptures say. It's hard because I... I don't want to get it mixed up. I'm not saying that the scriptures are teaching that, man, when we, we just walk with the Lord, that pain will be easy. But I, what I am saying 
is the pain will have purpose. It'll have gospel centrality. It'll, it'll, have, a, it'll have a beeline toward Jesus. See, I look around this room and guess what? There's pain. There's struggle. There's suffering. There's people wishing, I wish it wasn't like this. I wish this hadn't happened to me. Why is this happening to me right now? Why did God allow this to happen? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of struggle in our body. There's a lot of pain. It's a lot of, it's a lot of hurt, right? The question is, God wants to remind you and me that it's in Christ, it's bearable. Right? In Jesus, everything will make you wiser in Christ. That, that everything will allow you to be able to see God for who he is. If we just hang in there. And look what he says. Look what he says, guys. And he exhorted them as he saw the grace of God and was glad and realized that people have pain and have issues and we struggle. And the gospel is going forth and the church is growing. But we know it comes at a cost. He says, listen, you come to faith. I'm excited about that. But he says, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. You see the scriptures there? With steadfast, steadfast purpose, the scriptures say. You see that? And he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. What do you think he said that for? Because he knows. He knows that Satan tries to pluck us. He just put, provides a little dis- discouragement here, a little discontentment here, a little more discouragement here. Right? Think about your issue. And he continues to just hit at you and hit at your knees. And you're just kind of like, man. And he says, man, if you don't shore yourself up in the Lord, if you don't remind yourself of God's character, if you're not placing yourself in the covenant community and, and being in Christ and, and, and just allowing just the, the, the environment of God's grace to be washing you over and over again, he knows you're going to forget why you're doing this. You're going to forget whose you are and whom you serve. And you're going to falter. So he says, hey, guys, I know you're excited. I know you just came to Christ, but I want you to stand, stand, remain, trust the Lord. God got you is what he's saying. God has you is what he's saying. Do you believe that? Do you believe God has you? As we say, man, I'm praying against discontent. God has you. Do we believe that? Do we walk in light of that? I want to propose to you, and it's already up there. I want you to look at that. Think about that. I, man, we've, I've. I've taught so much, I think, up front, because I'm sincerely, my conviction is this, is that, man, gratefulness and thankfulness, man, is extremely perspective, gospel-centered perspective, which which reveals itself through gratefulness and thankfulness, is, is absolutely paramount to Christian longevity, to healthy Christian life, and the blinders to grace. You know when people don't see grace? Because I'm saying that the scripture says we can see it and be glad. You know when you don't see grace, when you and me, we walk around, is when we start experiencing this sense of, why, they, why is that not happening to me? When am I going to get mine? Why they do that? I should have this. When we start going around and we have no testimony. I'm proposed, you walk around here, and you're not talking about what Jesus has done, but you're talking about what everybody did to you, you entering into that realm. You're into that realm where you don't think 
Oh, so yeah, oh, oh, you, and I don't want to be flippant about our issues. What I do want to say is while we are sitting here in a free America with I got Bibles all over the place, we're sitting here and no one's trying to bomb us. Mo, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room got food at their house. And you tell me we don't have a testimony to brag about God's goodness? I want to propose to you selfishness and ungratefulness. And it reveals itself when it's way more about you than me hearing about God in your life. And I think this is an exercise that we have to continue to, it's like going in the gym. We got to learn how to be grateful. We have to learn how to be thankful. And I say, Lord, I know, I don't want to be flipping about my issues. I got drama. And I know that many of you got stuff going on too. But I want to propose to you, you got a greater God. Your God is greater than your issues. And he has you in the midst of your issues. And so there has to be some balance here where you and I can learn how to see our stuff for what it is, take it to a good Jesus, trust him, and brag about Christ. Are you bragging about Christ? Are you grateful? Have you given a testimony to people? Have you, have you witnessed I'm not even talking about sharing the good news or the hope that we have in Christ. I'm just telling, have you told somebody that God is good? Have you told somebody about what Jesus did in your life? How he rescued you from an issue? How he rescued you from sin? How he gave you grace with your marriage? How he allowed you not to yell at your wife where that's usually the, the, the normal mode of operation in your life? How he allowed you not to go and look at sexual sin and do things that are abhorrent to the Lord? Are you testifying to God's goodness? Are we testifying? Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Yeah, you do. I pray our church finds their voice. I pray we continue to learn how to brag about God's goodness. Thankfulness and gratefulness, guys. Hear me there. It's a great antidote to be able to see God in everything. He goes on and he finishes things. Look at this. It says, he gives him that encouragement. He gives him that charge. Why? Because he's a good dude. Verse 24, 24. For he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I love that. See, cats don't talk like that when you're not full of faith. When, you don't, when you're not looking at God and going, this is who God is. I know it's all this stuff, but here's who God is. And it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. I love this. So he tells him, hey, stand firm in the Lord. But he's looking. He's realizing these are young believers. I can't leave these guys. And look what he does here. He says, but I, I need some homies who can help me train them up in Jesus. Because guess what? If we're going to talk about standing firm in faith, right? We don't just go give a nice talk right at Mac Ave and then go out and be Christians forever. Like, guess what? That's jacked up. And y'all going to be dead soon. But God says, no, we need covenant community. We need training. We need the people of God. We need to be sharing our faith. A lot has to happen in our formation for us to be 30 years and say, I still love my wife. Amen. I still I honor, my, I honor my spouse. I, 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 I love my kids, right? I'm, I, I'm sharing Christ with my neighbors still. It takes a lot more than just a, a talk up front on a Sunday, man. This ain't going to get it. It takes covenant community. It takes the Holy Spirit doing something in us and keeping us in his environment. You don't get godly kids and, you know, just hanging out here and here and there. There's been struggle. I'm sure there's a journey there. There's a testimony. It's a, it's a struggle. And I know I'm new to the game. My oldest is eight. That's nothing. <laughs> okay? 
And that's why I'm trying to keep myself with godly people and be in an environment and keep my preaching the gospel to my wife so that she's equipped to preach the gospel to me. He says, man, look at these people. They need to be trained. And he says, he said, I got to find somebody. He said, that dude, that dude Saul. So he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he found him. He said, hey, man, people coming to Christ, these Gentiles, man. You know, you know how the Jews are. Some of these cats don't even want to talk to people about Jesus. So I, I think you, you want to hook this up, man? You know, goes over, says in the scriptures, and he found him. He brought him to Antioch. And he says, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples are first called Christians, right? This is the first time where people say, y'all just, y'all just kind of Christ-like. Y'all Christ-like in your character, in your proclamation. You just remind us like Jesus, Christians. You're Christians, you're Christ-like. That's what that means. And you had all these groups rubbing shoulders together. So you had all these people hearing the gospel. And it says in verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch, right? And the prophecy is huge. The gift of prophecy is like right under apostle uh, in our, in our scripture. So um, we get a clear picture of how it's used here. And it says, and notice this, this is very interesting how this comes out of, to me, it comes out of nowhere in the text, right? So you get all this and then you go, oh, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined... Verse 29, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to, elder, to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You're saying, why is that there? Have you ever thought about that? That seems weird to have that there. Here's why I think one of the reasons is there. First, because it's historical. It happened. So he wrote it down. But there's many things that he didn't write down. So he put this here for a reason. You know what's interesting? Uh, historically, there was a famine. Guess what? This was a prophecy. It hadn't happened yet. So the things that they did happened. They did before the thing happened, which warrant for them to do it. So they did everything we see there by faith because it hadn't happened yet because it's prophetic. Now, we live on this side of the prophecy. There's historical documents that shows there was actually a famine in Judea at that time in the 40s. Praise the Lord, right? Now, let me ask you this. Who was the famine affecting? The Jews. Who bailed them out? The Gentiles. What would have happened if the Gentiles had not heard about Jesus? They will be dead. Now we see why that's in the passage. You see God's sovereign power. Makes me want to cry. You see his hand there? His powerful hand. He knew what he was doing. God knew. God knew it was bigger. And he has layers of reasons why he does stuff. There's layers for the Gentiles to come to Christ, for him to make sure that the remnants are saved, all these things. But look at the goodness of our Lord. And you know what he wants you and I to leave here saying? Jesus got me. He has you. Do you think, the, Jew, do you think the, 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 the leaders in Jerusalem knew that that was going to happen? For heaven's sake, many of those guys didn't even want to share their faith to the Gentiles. The very people that saved them. God is good. Be encouraged. My prayer for us in this body as you listen to the text is that you and I will leave here saying, man, God has evidence in the scripture. 
He's shown us throughout history, and he showed me through the death of his son and the resurrection of Jesus that he has me. God got you. He got you in school. He has you at home in your marriage. He's got you as you're trying to figure out how to be on mission here. He has you while you're trying to raise your kids. He has you as you think of your kids being in college and in New York, and you're trying to figure out, man, I hope they're pursuing Christ. He got you. As your kids move and they're further away, you know, and you want to figure out how to keep the family, he got you. As your, as your, as your husband's and recovering from surgery, you're like, what's the Lord going to do? He got you. As you figure out, what do we do as a local church to see the gospel go off and to see people all over our community say, I want to fall in love with Jesus. And how do I, as a church leader, motivate the sheep to go out and proclaim the Lord? And we go in these elder meetings. You know what I got to remember? God got this. God got it. Ain't about my plans. God has it. May you be encouraged. By heads. Lord Jesus, be exalted in our life. Thank you for your testimony in the scriptures. Thank you for your testimony in your life of dying and raising on our behalf. Would you, would you, Lord, would you minister to us in only those ways you know? I don't even know what you need to do in our body, but I do know we want to exalt you. I do know we need you. I do know we, we need to be reminded of your goodness. And so, Jesus, we pray that we will remember when the, when the world hits us and the, and the waves hit us hard and we're trying to figure out, is there going to be a good house to buy? You know, as I think of the Royals, is, what's going to happen in the community? Is, what's going on with this guy trying to be silly with the house as I think of the burgers and all these different things? How to make sure my marriage is one as I think of Joel just wanting to be a godly man to his wife. Lord, I pray we would just remember as I think of new pregnant individuals and you have us. Holy Ghost, you got us. Thank you, Jesus. May you be exalted. Encourage the saints here and allow our response to be a testimony to this community that we would answer questions that are asked here because they're, they're asking questions. Who has me? And we can say, Jesus, come to Christ. He doesn't let you down. In Jesus' name, amen. We're doing tithing offering, guys. I want to remind you if you are new.